Well, please turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. For those keeping score, this is the fifth to last sermon in the book of 1 Corinthians. Seems like we just started, doesn't it? We're supposed to laugh at that. Well, Paul has established through this chapter that just as there are current distinctions that we see in the world around us, the distinctions between the types of living creatures, the distinctions between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies that we observe, that there's a future distinguished resurrection body. The Corinthians weren't exactly jumping to this idea. They weren't exactly convinced of this. I shouldn't say the Corinthians with that broad of a brush, but many of them. Enough for Paul to spend so much time on the future resurrection of Christians in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, you could say that our Corinthian church family, and that's an interesting way of thinking of them, isn't it? Our church family, to some 2,000 years ago in Corinth, they had a hard time accepting that they had not yet arrived in the spiritual life. So much of what Paul says as he writes to them in this letter is helping them to think rightly about the here and now and to not pridefully go after an exercise of their own spirituality as though they've already arrived. And Paul here in this chapter is keeping them in check regarding the future resurrection body. If there is yet a future resurrection body, then that means in this life we fall way short of achieving the glory of God. Even as born-again Christians who seek to serve God, in many ways, of course, we still fall short, don't we? Because there is yet to come this immortality that we will put on, and Paul's going to explain how that affects the way we serve God, and that affects the way that we'll serve Him in the future. But to give a, a summary statement about the Corinthian mindset that Paul is addressing, this is from Gordon Fee in his commentary. He says that the problem is that the Corinthians apparently believed that they had already assumed the heavenly existence that is yet to be, which for them was an existence in the spirit that discounted earthly existence both in its physical and in its behavioral expressions. They had believed that they had already assumed the heavenly existence that is yet to be, and for them they were discounting, many of them, an earthly existence both in its physical and its, in its behavioral expressions. We see over and over again through this letter that the Corinthians needed correction, didn't they? That's what you can think of when you think of the book of Corinthians, C-O-R, Corinthians needed correction. There's a lot of correction in here. And instead of taking the mindset of, we've already arrived by the Spirit, this body is pretty much worthless, let's just do whatever we want, we need to have that future resurrected state affect our actions here and now. And we need to have, just as the Corinthians needed, we need to have our behavior conformed to our position. As I spoke of in our uh, devotional about communion, positionally, we are in God's good graces only, always, through Christ. Now we need to pursue a behavior, an, an ethic, a Christian ethic that reflects that position. We need to pursue a lifestyle that's affected by grace. We need to pursue a life that is impacted by the mercy and love of God, a life that takes seriously the here and now while looking toward the future. 
And that's what Paul is speaking of in this chapter. Look with me at verse 42, 1 Corinthians verse 42. Paul says, as with all of these things he listed before, contrasting the different glories of things in creation, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So many contrasts here. So many different ways of saying that there's a difference between our current body and our future body. You could say that's Paul's big point, isn't it? There's a difference between our current body and our future body. And what I want to do as we enter into explaining the comparison or the contrast, rather, that's here before us, I want to first dwell on what is different about the current body, and we'll speak of just the earthly body for a time, and then talk about the future heavenly body. To give you a big idea about the current body, you could say this, the current body is best understood as a failure because of the effects of the fall. Your current body is a failure. Now, if you are under 20 years old, you don't know what that means. (laughs) But especially if you are over 50 years old, you know exactly what that means. And some of you are saying, 50, how about 40 or 30? We feel the effects of the fall. We feel the failures of our earthly body, don't we? We recognize that this is an imperfect condition. And Paul gives four adjectives here about our current body that we'll dwell on first. First, he says the earthly body is perishable. Perishable. You see that in verse 42. It is sown a perishable body, as Paul continues this planting metaphor, the seed going into the ground. That seed is perishable. That body is perishable. When he says perishable here, he's speaking of physical corruption. These bodies are physically corrupted because of the spiritual corruption that exists. You know we're spiritually corrupt. You know you have sin. And that sin isn't something that exists in an immaterial state. That sin isn't something that exists in a disconnected, isolated state. It has a direct effect on your body. And the biggest example of this, of course, is that bodies die. People die. Because of sin, our bodies are failing to the grave, toward the grave. And we can see this most clearly in Romans, just the book right before 1 Corinthians. Go to Romans 5 with me, where I was earlier. Romans chapter 5, and let's look at verses 12 to 14. There's a lot to catch here, but I want you to just grasp the reality that sin, spiritual corruption, has led to physical death, physical corruption. Romans 5, verse 12 It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come." What Paul is saying, just real briefly, is that for a long time, from Adam to Moses, we're talking many, many, many generations, 
For a long time, even when there wasn't the law, the Ten Commandments that were given through Moses, there was still sin in the world. And what is exhibit A, that there was sin in the world even without the law? People kept dying. In fact, it got so bad, of course, that God had a worldwide flood and that all but eight were destroyed in the flood. That's because of sin. Sin leads to death. Spiritual death leads to physical death, and our bodies, our current bodies, are perishable. Everyone has faced death ever since the tree of life was rejected by Adam. They chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and death entered the world through that sin, and death spread to all men because all sin. You see this in scientific law, the second law of thermodynamics, everything is winding down. There's this concept of entropy. Even in a newborn baby, you hold this little bundle of life, and even from that moment, it's a downward trajectory. You're holding a perishable body. And some of us intimately know just how perishable even those precious newborn babes are. The body you have now will not last forever. It is a perishable body. Paul gives us a second adjective in our text today, verse 43, 1 Corinthians 15, 43. Our current body is dishonorable. This means shameful or disgraceful. Our current bodies are disgraceful. What a thought. Our bodies, of course, are the vehicle for our many sins. Not all sins, but so many sins are carried out because of the body, aren't they? And even when we're not committing a sin, even when we're seeking to please God with our actions, we serve Him so imperfectly, don't we? We still fall short of perfect righteousness in our deeds because these bodies just aren't designed to carry out perfection. They're dishonorable. I shouldn't say they're not designed for that. They're not able to because of the fall. That means in everything that we do, we fall short because of the sin of Adam that is now transferred to each one of us. Third adjective, still in verse 43, these current bodies are weak. Not just perishable, not just dishonorable, these bodies are weak. And this instantly made me think of that hymn, O Worship the King, that stanza that says, frail children of dust and feeble as frail. <laughs> Aren't we frail? Aren't we feeble? Our bodies are insufficient in themselves. That's a good reality to get a hold of when you're young. <laughs> Our bodies are insufficient. And you might think, oh, I do pretty well. How do you do when you haven't eaten for two or three days? How do you do when you haven't slept for two or three days? Some of you, how do you do when you haven't gotten eight hours of sleep <laughs> a night, just seven and a half? And what a great time to be talking about that, huh? If some of you didn't compensate last night, Logan, then perhaps this morning you wake up feeling a little weak. You're in touch with your weakness. These bodies have to be nourished, maintained. Why does maintenance exist? Because of the fall, because we have these bodies that are perishable, dishonorable, and weak. Fourth, Paul says these bodies are natural. Verse 44, 
These bodies are natural as opposed to spiritual. And this is an interesting one. When we say natural here, we're not talking about physical material. I don't think Paul has in view at all the composition, the makeup of the body regarding atoms and things of that nature. But I think he's talking about these bodies are simply of the earth. Just as Adam was made from the dust of the ground, we have both a physical condition that is of the earth and a natural mindset that is opposed to the spiritual things of God. We are born as earthly creatures. We are born as children of the dust. We are born as those with a mindset that is natural and opposed to the spiritual. Paul already gave this contrast all the way back in chapter 2. If you remember, when he's talking about the Word of God, he says, the natural man cannot comprehend the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. And so we need to become spiritual through the gospel, through the salvation that is offered in Christ, so that we can grasp the heavenly things. In our natural condition, we are so of the earth that we just don't have that sort of access to the spiritual. We can't comprehend it. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it, could not overcome it. Same concept. Our bodies are natural. We are of the earth, and we need, in a total sense to be made spiritual. God has already begun this in our souls, hasn't He? He's already caused us to be spiritually minded in Christ, and yet there's going to become a total restoration. That's the title of today's message. There's coming a total restoration in that we could say, as a whole, we are spiritual beings. At the moment, we are spiritual inside, yet our outer man is wasting away, 2 Corinthians 4. Our inner man is renewed day by day, but our outer man is wasting away. Well, there's coming a day of total restoration where these things will be in perfect harmony by God's sovereign, gracious power. Won't that be an amazing thing? Our outer man will no longer waste away. But the bottom line is that our current bodies are wasting away, and what we're doing in the physical sense is we are stewarding a sinking ship, aren't we? Isn't it just a perfect picture that we dress up a corpse? We are stewarding a sinking ship physically, but God is renewing us day by day. Now, let's transition from this current body, which just has all these negative adjectives, and let's talk about this new body, okay? You'll notice that with each one of these four adjectives that describe the current body, He gives an opposite adjective to describe the future body. This resurrection body is Christ's victory over the fall expressed through individual restoration. Christ is going to show His victory over the curse that came through Adam by individually restoring each one of us in total renewal as our salvation reaches the apex and we are totally conformed to the image of Christ. The first adjective in opposition to perishable, back in verse 42, is, of course, imperishable. Well, this means inability to decay, as perishable means it will decay, imperishable means inability to decay. And this is better than those imperishable food items. We call them, you know, non-perishable foods, but eventually they still perish too, don't they? As some of you may have cleaned out some of your food storage and, you know, got botulism or something, you know that those non-perishables still perish. Well, our resurrection body will not perish. It's impossible for it to perish. There's an unbreakable soundness that comes with this body. And let's put it this way, there's a continual, unfailing immunity with that body. There's a word we talk about a lot these days, immunity. 
Well, do you know that in your resurrection body, there's a non-stopping, continual immunity to everything? Boy, that sounds nice. And we try so hard to establish it now, don't we? What's the promise of Scripture? Ain't happening. This new body is imperishable. And instead of dishonorable, that's the second one found in verse 43, this new body will be glorious. Now, you might anticipate he would say honorable instead of dishonorable, but he uses the word glorious. Isn't that interesting? This body will be exalted in the presence of God. We will have an actual exaltation in God's physical presence. That has happened, of course, now positionally. When you read through Ephesians 2, you see in Ephesians 2, 6, it says that we have, past tense, we have been raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. Past tense. You've been exalted already. But again, there's coming a day where the outer man, the shell for your spirit, will be totally restored in such a way that you will be exalted physically in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This is an amazing verse. It says, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What an amazing truth. Momentary light affliction. And this is Paul, who suffered shipwreck, all kinds of abandonment, all kinds of abuse, all kinds of imprisonment. Momentary light affliction. What is it producing? Eternal, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. An honorable existence in the presence of God. We will be able to serve God perfectly. Can you, can you just, we can't, but can you try to grasp that? Your service to God will be only honorable always. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 13, 43, talking about His future kingdom. What will it be like? Well, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's glory, isn't it? That's glorious. You will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the sun. How amazing. Also in verse 43, we get a third adjective for this new body, not just imperishable, not just glorious, but powerful. This new body will no longer be weak, it will be powerful. What that means is your body will be totally able. You will have total ability, no longer susceptible to things that threaten the body. You're no longer susceptible, but you're utterly overcome in Christ. You're absolutely overcome all those things that threaten your body now, overcome in Christ. And you'll have no need of food or sleep. Again, we can't grasp that, but that's how powerful this resurrection body will be. You will have no need of food or sleep. Now, will God let you have chocolate cake? That's between you and Him when you get there. I'm not going to answer that today. <laughs> but you'll have no need, I can tell you that. There will be no food pyramid or plate or whatever we're using these days. None of that. There will be no recommended this many hours, that many hours. None of that. There will be no night in the new heaven and new earth. 
God will shine forth and the righteous are going to shine forth like the sun. No sleep because totally powerful. No need of nourishment, no maintenance. How amazing. And then fourthly, down in verse 44, the new body, instead of being natural, it will be spiritual. I said that the natural body is of the earth. Well, the spiritual body will be of God. It's a a future condition, a God-given condition of this body. And our lives will, as a result, only be godly always. The spiritual man who is in all believers will have that spirituality totally pour forth in the physical realm too. Only spiritual, only godly always. And we have another great promise in Scripture regarding this transformation. It's in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul here writes, "'For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.'" And what's He going to do? He's going to transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That's a good one to memorize, isn't it? You want to have a more eternal view of life? Memorize that verse and and preach that to yourself. He's going to transform the body of our lowly, humble state. And what's He going to transform it into? Conformity with His body, the body of His glory. And how is He going to do it? By His power. And His power is so great that He can even subject all things to Himself, and that will be demonstrated in His kingdom. What an amazing future condition we have, a spiritual condition. The bottom line is that our new bodies will rise, and with the rest of creation, we will be restored by Jesus. How amazing. Just as the Messiah King will establish a perfect physical reign, which was discussed earlier in this chapter. You can go back to those sermons if you missed them, verses 20 to 28, talking about the Son's future kingdom. Just as He's going to establish a perfect physical reign, He's going to establish perfect physical people. By His power, we will be transformed into conformity with His body. Now, let me put an asterisk next to that, because this does not mean a couple of things. When you're resurrected and you're given this conformity to the glorious body of Jesus Christ, you do not transition from a dependent creature to an independent creature. Make that clear in your mind. You don't become independent. You are still absolutely dependent on God for all that you have. You will never leave that condition, creature, ever. So you're still dependent on God. Secondly, You don't lose your identity as a creature person. I talked last week about this idea, how amazing it is that as human beings, we are creatures, but we're also persons. We're not like a dog or a cat, regardless of what the state university wants to tell your kids. We are both creatures and persons made in the image of God. We have been given this amazing existence as those who reflect God's existence in our relationships, and in nature itself. You are never going to transition out of that identity as creature persons to God's. 
You will never become a God yourself. You, will, you are not going to be the one who is going to fulfill Satan's grand goal of becoming like the Most High. That will never happen. There's only one Most High, only, forever, always. Yet, you will be glorious. You'll be dependent. You'll be a creature. You'll still be you, a person. But you will be glorious, imperishable, powerful, spiritual in the resurrection. As we have been raised and seated with Christ already, we will one day experience this amazing glory. So with a proper understanding of the earthly body, we can rightly anticipate our heavenly existence, and that will affect the way that we live now. That's where Paul's taking this argument with the Corinthians. Drop down to verse 44, the middle of verse 44 with me. He says, if there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly." Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. In verse 44, Paul says that the natural body indicates a spiritual body. What's his reasoning here? That's kind of an interesting way of phrasing it. If there is a natural body, then there's a spiritual body, Paul says. How does the natural body prove the spiritual body? Well, consider this. We were created for eternal existence, weren't we? God created with eternity in view. God didn't create people in His image who would just be thrown away like an old microwave. God created people in His image who would have an eternal existence. And when God redeems, He redeems all the way. God doesn't just redeem for the here and now, He redeems for that eternal existence. When He redeems you, He places you into an eternal existence. And this is demonstrated simply by Jesus' words. He came to impart what kind of life to us? Eternal life. Everlasting life. When you become a Christian, your eternal life has begun. This is eternal life that is given to us, and it lasts, of course, eternally. So if there's a natural body, and this natural body dies, it's going to be sown into the ground, it's going to be perishable, as it's demonstrated, as a body goes into the ground and it decays. Well, there's also something spiritual going on if this life that we have is eternal, if God has given us eternal redemption in His Son. And remember, Paul here is especially emphasizing Christian resurrection, not just general resurrection, but Christian resurrection. And where he takes this argument is that Adam and Christ are the figureheads for this outer shell that's wasting away and the inward man that's being renewed eternally. Let's look at verses 45 and 46 again. Paul says, Also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, and see the two figureheads here, the first Adam and the last Adam, two different figureheads. One is Adam, of course, and the other is Jesus Christ. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. 
So Paul here is taking the argument in this direction, saying, first, you have a natural body, and then you have a spiritual body. He's giving them the contrast of order. First comes the natural, the earthy, and then comes the spiritual, the heavenly. Before we get too far into that, I do want to make sure we don't gloss over this. Look at the beginning of verse 45. So easy to look past this. Just to emphasize, Paul says, so also it is written. Have you ever wondered why it says it is written instead of it was written? In our natural vernacular, in our conversations, we would just say it was written somewhere. Well, I think there's something to catch here uh, without getting too weird on you. It is written. This is in the imperfect sense in the Greek, which is a past tense verb, but it has a present effect. So when Paul says, it is written, he's saying, yes, this is something that was given to us in the past, but it has a present effect. We shouldn't look at it as just like Shakespeare or Homer or something like that, where it was written and take it or leave it. Paul is saying, it is written, meaning pay attention to what has been said because it has an impact here and now. It is written. And notice what he quotes. He's going back to the Genesis account here, isn't he? Pay attention to Genesis, Christian. Pay attention to the first chapters of the Bible, because let me just tell you, if you give up those first chapters of the Bible, you give up the Bible. You cannot have everything that comes after Genesis 12 if you don't hold on to Genesis 1 through 12. It's foundational to everything else, and it has a bearing on the here and now, doesn't it? It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. Adam was the first man. He was made from dust, as the Genesis account tells us. Chapter 2, it goes into detail of how God did this. Out of the dust of the ground, He made the first man, Adam. And how did that man get his breath? God Himself breathed into man. What an amazing picture that is, that God breathed into Adam and gave Adam life. Adam was the receiver of breath from God, wasn't he? Where did we get our breath? Well, it's passed down to us from the breath of God breathed into Adam, carries on to us today. We are receivers of life from God Himself. Yet, in contrast, look at Jesus. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam is a receiver. The last Adam is a giver. The first man, Adam, received his life. He was made from the earth. He received his breath from God. Yet the second man from heaven, he gives life. If you're a Christian, you've received the Spirit and will one day be perfectly conformed to Jesus Christ. We recognize that in the narrative of history, Christ finished His work and began to build His church by giving life to people, individually redeeming souls and placing them into the church. That's the flow of history. He's a life-giving Spirit. But notice the order. First comes the natural, Adam. First comes for us in our lives, being born into Adam. Then comes the spiritual being born again in Christ. We're born in Adam, we're saved if God so chooses, and will one day be spiritually conformed to Christ. Notice how specific Paul is about the order here. Verse 46, he makes it clear, 
The spiritual is not first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. You did not live a heavenly life before you were born in Adam. Before you were born in Adam, you weren't. The natural came first. You were born in Adam. And then, if you're redeemed, you received life from Christ and were born again. Look at verse 47, another contrast that Paul sets up. Verse 47, the first man is from the earth, earthy, and the second man is from heaven. Adam's motive, Adam's focus was rooted in his earthly existence. That was, of course, basically all he knew. Adam's focus, Adam's vision was earthy. I love that word, earthy. The first man was from the earth, earthy. I just like that. We don't say that word. But the contrast is these different bodies have different cares, have different motives. They exist in different realms. And Adam's life was totally wrapped up in the dust of the earth. That was his view. God made him from the ground and said, cultivate the ground. That was Adam's focus. He gave him a garden. He said, work and keep the garden. He had an earthy view of life. Ecclesiastes is great to, to see this specifically. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 19 and 20. It says, for the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they, have, they all have the same breath. And there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all returned to the dust. You want a godless view of life? Read Ecclesiastes. Without God, that's where you end up. I'm no different than an animal. I live for a short while, and I go back to the ground, and that's it. That's your life without God. However, when you take God at His word and you take God into account, we see that there's life in Christ. There's more to life than being of dust and going back to the dust. Jesus, of course, was born of a woman. He was truly man, yet His origin was not there. His origin was not found in human parents like our origin is found. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is heavenly. In John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven, but He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Where did Jesus come from? You could say Mary, and you'd be right, but you're only half right. He descended from heaven. That was His teaching of His origin. And Adam, what does he impart to us? Well, he imparts to us what is from his realm. What do we receive from our father Adam? Earthiness. We're just making up words now. We receive an earthy vision. Where our focus is like Ecclesiastes. That's what we receive from Adam. But what do we receive from Jesus Christ? Eternal life, a heavenly vision, a spiritual vision. Eyes that see redemption and pursue redemption. In verses 48 and 49, he continues this idea saying, as is the earthy, so also we, or sorry, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne, looking in the past, we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We are born bearing Adam's image. We have no choice in that. That's what you're born with, a natural, earthy existence. But now, for Christians, we are being conformed to Christ. Like Seth, 
Genesis chapter 5, Adam's son, Seth. Just like him, we have inherited from Adam an image that is wrapped up in corruption. Why does Genesis go out of its way? Moses, writing Genesis, why does he go out of his way in chapter 5? That's to say that Seth was born in the image and likeness of Adam. Well, of course he was born in the image and likeness of Adam. Isn't that a no-brainer? He looked like his dad. He had the same natural tendencies as his dad. Don't we all know that? Well, Moses is driving home a point. The fall of Adam was passed on to Seth. It says that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God and that Seth was born in the image and likeness of Adam. Did he receive the image of God passed down? Well, of course he did. But he also received the image and likeness of his fallen father, Adam. It's passed down from generation to generation. And that includes us. We're born with the image of God, but we're also born with the image of corruption. Yet, we now have a spiritual renewal in Christ. And one day, this physical body that we have will receive a total restoration. We will be totally renewed in Jesus Christ. The Christian is destined for total restoration in Jesus. And that should impact the here and now. This is from John MacArthur. He writes, The coming resurrection is the hope and motivation of the church and of all believers. Whatever happens to our present bodies, whether they are healthy or unhealthy, beautiful or plain, short-lived or long-lived, or whether they are indulged or tortured, they are not our permanent bodies in We should not hold them too dearly. (laughs) That's a good quote. We shouldn't hold them too dearly. We're living for something much greater, aren't we? Let's get a big picture view as we wrap this up. In Romans, again, the book right before 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 8, just verse 29, Romans 8, 29, we see a big picture of what God is doing through His people. In Romans 8, 29, it is written, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, or to become conformed, to the image of His Son, so that He, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is God's amazing plan for His elect. His amazing plan has always been ultimate conformity to Jesus Christ. Those whom God has plucked out of the world, He has plucked out of the realm of Adam, He has plucked out of the earthy existence. What's He doing with them? Conforming them to the image of His Son. And this is an ultimate conformity that we have not yet realized. It's still future for you because it includes this outer shell that's wasting away that will one day be made totally imperishable. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, not the Gospel of John, but the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Amen? And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And here's your commission. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. That is our view. That's our motivation. 
as Christians. We will undergo a physical transformation. Therefore, live like Him now. As you see this future conformity, total conformity to the purity of Christ, pursue that now, Christian. Pursue your position. Your position is with Christ in the heavenly places. Bring that to bear on your day today. Bring that to bear on your attitude right now. Bring that to bear on your relationships. Because here's another promise of Scripture. I'll close with this verse, Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't look to your current body for advancement. Don't look to yourself, this body of flesh, for renewal or for hope. But live instead for the coming Christ. Another quote from Gordon Fee. He says, In our present earthly existence, the body simply is. It's neither to be admired nor denigrated. Since it serves as the present vehicle of our life on this planet, one should properly care for it as the gift that it is. But care should not also lead to adoration, just as it should not lead to contempt. If you invest in what you've inherited from Adam, you're going to reap corruption. If you invest in the earthly realm, you're just going to reap corruption, things that perish. But if you invest in the life given by Christ, you will truly live. Our goal is to become in this life, to be conformed to in this life, who we already are in Christ, to live day by day for the coming King who's going to transform your lowly body into conformity with the body of His glory by His power, which He has to subject all things into His rule and domain to put under His feet. Isn't that an amazing view of life? Isn't that better than Ecclesiastes? I think so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You so much for Your kindness and patience toward us. Thank You for the hope, the motivation that we have in this life, that one day we will be with You and be like You and see You in glory. Give us this heavenly vision day by day that we would not slip back into the realm of Adam over and over again, that we wouldn't dwell in Adam's realm, but that we would live for something more, that we would want to see spiritual renewal brought to bear on our lives because we have this permanent fixed position in heaven. Keep us spiritually minded that we would be souls alive to you, dead to the world, and alive to you, our Lord and our God. In Jesus' name, amen.